four T's. I'm going to talk to you tonight about the four T's. And we're going to do a Bible study together. Okay? Now, we think about the four T's. And this is going to be easy enough for you to remember. It's, it's perfectly okay to write it down. Or I'll leave these things on the board tonight. And you'll be able to take a picture at the end. Um, so here's your four T's. Target. Tools. Training. And tracking. Okay? So... Target, tools, training, and tracking. Now, why am I talking about the four T's on a Wednesday night Bible study? I want to encourage you guys, as believers in Christ, to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. To be able to lay on your deathbed, or even better, to enter into eternity and celebrate a life that wasn't wasted. To have a life that counted, a life that mattered, a life that meant something. I think that all of us want to have a life that matters, right? And I want to tell you how. I think that the target, what we're aiming for in life, should be what God is aiming for. What His vision is. Our target should be our vision. And the vision for our life, and especially for our church, should line up with what God's vision is. In Revelation chapter 7, the Apostle John said he saw a great cloud of witnesses. A multitude of people, too many people to count. From every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And they were clothed in righteousness. And they were worshiping Jesus before the the, the worship in the throne, the worship in Jesus Christ. I feel like that, that should be what we're aiming for. That's the culmination of all time. God being worshipped in heaven by people from all places, all ethnicities, all languages, all places. That's what I feel like we should be focusing our attention on as believers. That's God's heart. That's what's going to happen. You can take the book of Revelation to the bank. God's word is going to happen. But we know right now there are thousands of people groups and many who have never heard the gospel. There are many people in this world who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. So we also know that as this, this target or this vision will happen, it has not currently happened yet. It is in the process of happening. We get to be involved in that assignment, in that vision, in that mission. So we want our target to be lined up with what God's target is, what His vision is. So... As our church vision, we, we say that we exist as Longview Point, the body of Christ called Longview Point exists to expand God's kingdom across the street and around the world. Now, as we are being intentional to expand God's kingdom across the street and around the world, we are going to also be joining with God in that big picture vision, every tongue, tribe, um, nation, People group, right? So our target needs to be lined up with God's target. Going and making disciples of all nations. Remember Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go. As you're going, 
make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We are commissioned. By the way, some people might say, well, that was for the original 12. Well, there was more than 12 there when that, ha- when that commission was given. But they were told to make disciples and to teach those to do the same, to do what they were commanded. And they were commanded to do that. So they made disciples for 2,000 years. And that happened all the way to get to Hernando, Mississippi. And they've been passing it down the whole time. And it's our commission just as well. Because they were told to make disciples and teach them to do these things. We're here with that same commission. So, that's our target, okay? Our target, you can put Revelation 7-9. If you'd like to have a reference for Scripture. Um, That's that great multitude. Man, what will it be like, y'all? What will it be like? The diversity, the celebration, the jubilance, the, the joy. Can you imagine what will it be like that day? It's happening. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But it hasn't yet happened. By the way, I think that we should all be going. A, a, a friend of mine named George Ross was a pastor in the area for a while. He used to say, why should you pray and ask God if you should go on a mission trip? He already told you to go. You should pray and ask him why you shouldn't go. <laughs> like we're supposed to go. Right? So, here's the beauty of it. There are places where we can't go. There's places we can't get to. And you know what God's doing. (laughs) He's bringing them to us. He's bringing people from all over the globe here to our country where we don't have to get on a plane. We don't have to have a passport. We don't have to go eat funny foods. We don't have to learn new languages. They're coming to us. And we get to receive them with the gospel. Okay, so there's our target, okay? Well, what about tools? We want to equip every believer with tools that are simple, affordable, reproducible, and biblical. We want simple tools. And one of the things that the evangelism team's doing as they go out is they're trying to model for people simple ways to get into gospel conversations. One of our goals with the evangelism team is to go and reach people with the gospel. But you know another huge goal? is just to have an easy, accessible opportunity to tag along and have somebody model for everyone else how to do it. What do you do when you knock on the door? How do you start the conversation? What do you say? How do you transition? What is it like? How do you do it? Tools. We have tools. We teach them in our connect groups. We use them in our connect groups. We teach them at our evangelism trainings. We teach them up here on Wednesday nights sometimes. We teach them when we go out and knock on doors. Tools. I'll give you an example. We have tools for who do you go to? Who do you talk to? Well, you have people that you know that need the gospel. Here's a simple tool. You ready? Five fingers. Assign each finger on your hand a name of somebody that you know that needs to hear the gospel. Somebody you know far from God. And pray for, that per- pray for those five people every day. 
Pray that God will draw them to Himself, that He'll open their eyes, that He'll burden your heart for their salvation, that He'll give you chances to talk to them. And pray for those five people every day. Now, that, is that a simple tool? I think five fingers is a pretty simple tool. You can just write their names out. You can put a reminder on your telephone. That's pretty easy. Five people. I think most of us know five. My buddy Slim's praying for 60 every day. And he's seen at least five of them come to Christ in the last three years. That's a simple tool. That's affordable. Doesn't cost any money. It's reproducible. You can tell that to anybody you know, right? Hey, you can tell somebody about using five fingers to pray. It's something that's biblical. Praying for lost people is biblical. <laughs> right? We did it tonight. <laughs> we should do that. Okay? So, there's one example of a tool. Um, another example is, you know, how, how do we share the gospel? Well, here's a tool for how to share the gospel. How to share my story in 20 seconds. You think you can share a 20-second gospel t- uh, witness? Because think about it. We used to say three minutes. But sometimes you don't even have three minutes. Now, here's, I'm, we're not going to practice tonight. Don't, don't worry. But if you come to one of our next evangelism trainings, we're going to have a lot of time to unpack this stuff. And it's fun and interactive. It's non-threatening. It'll be a chance for you to practice. But, but here's a, a real simple, easy example. Okay, 20 seconds. Two words that describe your life. Before knowing Christ, a sentence that talks about coming to Christ. And then two words that explain how He's changed your life. Because coming to Christ should impact our life. You know, the Bible really doesn't have any examples that I can think of of people that came to Christ whose life did not get turned upside down. So, before Christ, my life was was empty and I was in bondage. And a friend came to me and told me how Jesus lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sin. And I knew I needed to trust Him. I abandoned my ways for God's ways and put all my confidence in Jesus. And now I'm forgiven and I have joy. Two words, two words, one sentence. Simple tool, right? Simple, affordable, it's free, doesn't cost anything at all. Biblical, given testimony, given account for the work of God in you, and it's reproducible. You could teach somebody that. Two words, one sentence, two words. Now, I like to use a lot more words when I'm sharing the gospel. But that's a simple way, y'all. Simple way. One time, I was having lunch with a friend of mine in Memphis, and the, the, the restaurant wasn't that busy. We went a little bit early, so it wasn't so busy. And the waiter wasn't in a hurry. And I asked the waiter, I said, hey, can I, can I pray for you real quick? We're going to pray for our meal. Is there anything we can pray about? And um, he said, yeah, sure. You know, and he gave us a couple of generic requests. And uh, my buddy said, well, if you, if you got a second, you can pray with us. So we prayed with the guy. And then before he could get away, and before I even had a chance to think about what to do next, my friend said, hey, can I tell you about something that changed my life? And the guy says, sure. And he gave him a 20-second testimony, just like what I just did. 20 seconds, y'all. It's a great way to test the water, see what God's up to. 20 seconds. So there's another example of a tool, okay? Now, we got our target. We got our tools. We also, we want to have a package, a training package to deliver these things, okay? So I'm gonna, you've probably by now heard of the four fields. I'm just going to write four fields, I'll draw you a little bitty picture right here. 
It's just looks like almost like a, a Rubik's Cube missing a few squares. Four different fields. The first one is the empty field. The second one is the seeded field. The third one is the growing field. This is pictures growing. And then the, third, the fourth one is the harvest. Okay? I know you can't see that in the back. It's just a little, little icon. Some of y'all might not be able to see it in the front. <laughs> I saw you chuckling. <laughs> uh, the empty field represents where there's no believers. The seeded field represents sowing the gospel, sowing the seed of the gospel. The growing field represents discipleship, new believers. As we share the gospel, people come to Christ, but they need to know how to grow in Christ. Well, we need to know how to help them grow into Christ. And then the fourth field is the harvest, gathering people together because we don't want to just leave people out there to fend for themselves. We want to get them plugged in into a group where they're growing and, and, and having fellowship and encouragement, being taught. That's our package, if you will, the training. And within this training, we teach tools, tools how to enter. I told you about making a list of five people. That's one way to enter into the empty field. Another way, going out and knocking on doors on Wednesday nights. That's how you talk to people you don't even know. The more you practice doing it with people you know, people you don't know, the more you will find yourselves just ending up in these conversations while you're waiting in the line of the grocery store. And you're just like, well, man, that wasn't even awkward. It just happened. It was natural. That's what we want to get to, right? This natural, just always looking for those chances to, to test the water and see what God's doing. And, and man, being used by God, there, there's just nothing better. We're created to know Him and make Him known. We're created to glorify Him. And I'm here to tell you, too many Christians are bored out of their minds riding the bench. And Christianity is not a bench riding sport. Everybody's called to get into the game. Everybody. I just read today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the base things of the world. He uses the things that aren't considered important to make much of Himself. There's good news for all of us. God wants to use you. So we want to have a training that helps deliver this. One of the tools for how to share the gospel, 20-second testimony. A tool for discipleship. In our connect groups, at least once a year, we cycle back through and we remind people of the seven commands of Christ. If you go and you look at chapter 2, you'll see with the early church, Pentecost, P Peter preached the gospel, 3,000 people came to faith. 3,000 people were baptized in one day. Can you imagine what that would have been like? But the water was muddy. Wouldn't that be good? Man, what a celebration. What a joyous time. And they taught the early church what to do, how to be believers. And we can look at that example, that small little snapshot of what they were doing and we can say, well, what do we need to teach brand new Christians? Well, they were teaching repentance and faith in Christ. They were teaching baptism. They were gathering together and studying the Word. They were praying together. They were having the Lord's Supper together. They were giving generously from the heart. They were going and making disciples because it says the Lord was adding to their number day by day. And we see a snapshot of what it would be good to teach brand new believers. So one of our tools for making disciples, for, for discipleship, 
is the seven commands of Christ. And we, we look at different, different stories from the Gospels, from the New Testament, that illustrate different commands that Christ gave. So the first one is repent and believe. The second one is baptism. Now, with repent and believe, we teach them the story about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. We'll look at it in a minute, and you guys are going to have to help me, okay? Luke chapter 19, you see Zacchaeus. Remember the song, he was a wee little man, a wee little man was he? He wanted to see Jesus, but what was wrong? He couldn't see over the crowd. So what did he do? He ran ahead and he climbed up a tree. Jesus came right to him, called him by name. So good. But in that story, you see a very vivid illustration of what a changed life looks like. He's known as being a rich chief tax collector. The crowd called him a sinner. He wasn't popular with the religious folks. And then Jesus intersected his life and he became incredibly generous and he wanted to make amends and he was going to pay people back four times more than what he had taken, defrauded them of. A changed life. That's repent and believe. The baptism story is one of my favorite in the Bible. It's, it's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember in, in the book of Acts, Philip was in Samaria seeing a lot of fruit preaching the gospel. A lot of people coming to Christ and the God told him, go out into the middle of nowhere. So what did he do? He didn't talk back. He just went to the middle of nowhere. And he saw a chariot. And the Spirit of God told him, go up to that chariot. He didn't talk back. He just went right up to that chariot. And he heard the guy reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip called up and said, do you understand what you're reading about? And the guy said, how can I unless somebody explains to me? And he invited him to come up in the chariot with him. And he says, I love this phrase, y'all. He says, beginning with that passage, he preached Jesus to him. And the man said, well, there's water. What prevents me from getting baptized? They stop the chariot and the eunuch gets baptized. And I don't know what this means. I don't know what it looked like. Come out the water, the eunuch's rejoicing. And it says the Spirit of God carried Philip away. I don't know if it was a whirlwind or a warp zone or he clicked his heels together. I don't know what happened, but I just know he was there one minute and he was gone another. And he, listen to me, it's not boring to follow Jesus. It's exciting and it's scary. And the fact that it's scary makes it even more exciting. Because we have to trust God to obey Him. We have to trust God for Him to use us. And aren't you glad that He will? Man, all right. I'm not going to preach all the seven commands to you tonight. Those are some examples of how we use this training to teach these tools to help us be effective at carrying out what God wants us to do to fulfill this vision, this Revelation 7-9. All right, so tracking. Let me talk to you about tracking. If you don't keep track, you won't know if you're doing what you're trying to do. You got to track it. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, it, it, it really, I like, if you don't look at your bank account ever, you're not going to know where you are financially. Or if you don't write down your debits and credits, you're not going to know where you are. If you don't track it, you're not going to know. If you have a target that you're aiming for, then you got to track what's going on to know, are you, are you going in the right direction to meet that vision, to meet that goal? Now, 
when we were over in India, we would teach people how to map new churches. And they would, they would write out, uh, they'd make a circle. And if people, however many people had uh, come to Christ, they'd have a number. How many people were attending, they'd have a number. How many people that had been baptized, they'd have a number. And if, if they had taught the seven commands, then they would have that on there. If they had been going and starting other churches, they would have generations down there, like this church started this church. If they had a shepherd, a pastor that was local, then they would have a little sign of a shepherd with a shepherd's crook. If they were given offerings and taking offerings, they'd have a little money sign. And they, w- they were able to track the health of their churches, and they were able to track to see if they were reproducing and starting new churches in different areas. They were able to say, we have these people from this people group. We have these people from this people group. We have this many leaders, this many baptized believers. And you can look at their map and say, hey, bro, how, how come um, you, you don't have uh, anybody that has any baptisms? And they go, well, we hadn't taught them about baptism. Well, that'd be a good idea. Okay. And they go teach them about baptism. So it, the, the tool, the tracking tool helped them know where they were, so they could get to where they wanted to be. Does that make sense? Now, I'm going to make it practical. Uh, A couple months ago, we were meeting with some of the staff, talking about dreaming big. Been dreaming big for a couple months, having a meeting together, talking about the the direction of our church. How do we we make sure we're we're marching towards expanding God's kingdom across the street and around the world. And how do we make sure we're focusing on across the street? And how do we make sure that we're getting every member of our church in the game, raising the bar, making sure that people know what's expected, not just from us as a church, but, but, but from Christ, our Savior, our, our Lord, right? Because I was talking to a friend today. I said, but, you know, it's an oxymoron to say no Lord. There's places where if you say no Lord, you get your head cut off. You're supposed to say, yes, Lord. You're not supposed to say, no, Lord. It doesn't make sense to say, no, Lord. Right? If, if Brother Wade tells me to do something and I say, no, sir, <laughs> that's not respectful. <laughs> so, yes, Lord, is what we want to say. And we want to be sure that we are helping people fulfill the Great Commission. And training our members and equipping our members and holding people accountable. Not to be mean, not to be judgmental, definitely not to pat ourselves on the back. So one thing we said, okay, we can't set goals for God, right? I can't say how many people God's going to save or get baptized in a year. That's up to God. But I can say, well, what are the controllables for me? Well, I want to see God use me, so... What if I said, I'm going to try to share the gospel at least once a week for the rest of the year? So 52 times this year, I'll share the gospel. I can control that. I can't control how people respond to the gospel, but I can control how often I share it. Does that make sense? So I want to track things and see where I'm at. Now, that's where we came up with this whole me and gospel share thing. Say, look, let's just raise the bar as high as we can and shoot for the stars and ask God to just stir our hearts and bind us together and help us to be faithful, faithful, faithful at proclaiming the gospel. We can't make people get saved, but we can tell everybody we know about the gospel. 
And so that's where the tracking comes in. Where, where are we? Well, if you look on the website, and, and again, I, I know I'm the, world, I'm, not, I'm the world's worst at, at, at putting things in there. I don't put down every time I share the gospel. I don't think about it. But the reason we did it wasn't for patting ourselves on the back. It wasn't for trying to make ourselves look good. It was to say, are we on track? Are we, are we beating the drum loud enough? Are we training people well enough? Are we making it accessible? Are we keeping it in front of people? Are we, are we fanning that flame? More than anything, y'all, please hear me. Are we in love with Jesus? Listen to me. You can force it. You can get out there and, and completely out of legalism, just looking for notches on your belt. You can get out there and beat people over the head with the gospel. But I tell you something, if, you're, if you are head over heels in love with Jesus, you're going to want people to know about how good He is. And if you're experiencing Him on a daily basis, He's going to be in you a well that overflows to other people. And so it's a measuring stick for us to say, are we on track? So we got our four T's. Target, tools, training, tracking. Um, mapping, or however you want to put it. Now, I made that real small because I wanted to focus on the big picture up here. And I just want to do a little Bible study with you and model. Okay, so our Connect ministry is, is really designed around this. Technical difficulties. I don't think my ears the same as Brother Wade's. All right, so um, we talked about the seven commands of Christ. We talked about the story of Zacchaeus. Here's a tool that you can use for discipleship. It's called the three-thirds method, okay? You break up your time together in thirds. Looking back, looking up, and looking ahead. Looking back when you're meeting together, it can be one-on-one, or it can be a connect group, or it can be a Bible study in your home. It can be a church service. How was your week? How you doing? How's your walk? What can we pray about? What victories did you have this week? What, what struggles have you had this week? What have been your spiritual highs and lows? Have you had any good spiritual conversations with anybody? Have you had a chance to share the gospel with anybody? Last week when we met, you said you needed to focus on these things. How did that go? Did you, did you have any victory or anything we can pray about? Looking back. Looking up is studying God's Word together. Looking up. Studying God's Word. And then looking ahead is, hey, we're not called just to be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. So let's make sure that when we study God's Word, we actually think about how it applies to our life so that we can go live it out and let God's Word transform us. So let's obey God's Word. How are we going to do it? You study it together and then you talk about it. Hey, this week, man, this is what I'm convicted. I need to be focused on. Would y'all pray for me? And next week when we meet again, would you hold me accountable? Would you ask me how I did? And I'm telling you, it's just something about it. When I know I'm going to be with a group of peers, of friends that are going to ask me, how'd you do? It reminds me to, to it might be the day before, but it still reminds me to, to try to do it, right? Because you know somebody's going to ask you. 
Now, I'm with, I'm with John MacArthur on this. The greatest accountability is knowing that God sees everything. But we do have the body of Christ to help spur each other on. And nothing wrong with that. Not guilt-driven, gospel-driven. There's a difference between conviction and guilt. Not shame. Conviction is good. It's for our good. Now, looking back, looking up, looking ahead. When you have your looking up time, then we can, there's another tool. Okay, here's another tool. It's called the sword method. All right, I'm going to draw it over here for you. People used to wonder what kind of acronym sword was. It's not an acronym at all. It's just a picture. (laughs) The Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit, right? So draw a sword, and at the top, if you're holding that sword, it points up. It helps you to remember to ask the question in this passage, what do we learn about God? Man is holding the sword in this passage. What do we learn about man? On one side, is there a sin to avoid or turn from? On the other, is there an example to follow or a command to obey? Whoa, I just got crazy on that one. I was spelling command and example in the same word. Now, this is a tool that can be used in a group together. We can use it tonight. Or it can be used in your own personal time with the Lord. Now, there's many more questions that you can ask. I highly recommend that you ask more than just this. But it's a great place to get started. Because that way, we don't just read it and then forget about it, but we actually chew on it and think about it and then try to apply it to our life. Now, I'll show you what I'm talking about, okay? Luke chapter 19. We're going to practice together. I love this story, y'all. You've heard it a million times, I'm sure. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Here's some context, okay? Jesus is going from village to village, town to town, preaching about the kingdom of God. And out of His his mercy and compassion, He's performing many miracles. He's healing people. He is, I mean, feeding people. He is doing some, I mean, awesome things, y'all. Healing people that have been blind their whole life. Raising people from the dead. Casting demons out of people who had no hope. Healing people that were paralyzed. This Sunday in our Connect group, we're going to have a great study. Oh, it's one of my, I keep saying one of my favorite passages. There's so many good books and passages in the Bible. It's the story of the four friends this Sunday for Connect group. It talks about the, the paralytic man that was lowered down through the roof. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, who does this guy think he is? Jesus was forgiven people's sin. You think there was a little bit of talk going on? Man, you're talking about the Word. People talking about this, this man named Jesus who's doing these miraculous things. Preaching like somebody that's got some authority. We've never seen anything like this. And he's going from town to town. And he comes to Jericho. First one, 19 one. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, who's that talking about? That's the crowd. They're grumbling. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's good. That's a, ten verses. Ten verses. There's a story. Where did this happen? Where did this happen? Jericho. And who was entering into Jericho? And who wanted to see Jesus? Zacchaeus. What was Zacchaeus' problem? He was too short. He couldn't see over the crowd. So what did he do? He ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree. I wonder what the significance sycamore. And what is, He's up in the tree wanting just to get a glimpse. And what does Jesus do? Walks right up to him and calls him by name. And what does he tell him to do? Come down. Why? I'm going to stay at your house today. Now, you ever had an honored guest? You know, when somebody comes over that you're just so thrilled that they would come. You think Zacchaeus tried to hurry ahead and, and sweep up things and make it a little bit nice? I don't know. But don't you know how honored he was to have Jesus come to his home? That's not what he thought was going to happen that day. Now, what did the crowd do when they saw this happening? They grumbled, mumbled, complained, murmured. We don't do that, do we? <laughs> People don't do that, do they? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Man, if they'd have had Facebook. <laughs> what were they saying? He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, what do we know about tax collectors in that day and time? Were they, were they people that, that the Jewish people liked? Now, Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham, which means he was what? He was Jewish, a child of the promise. So he wasn't just a tax collector, he was a traitor. He was taking money from his own people and giving it to Rome who had invaded and was controlling the Israelites. They're longing to be set free. And you got this guy has the nerve to pad his pockets and get rich off of their backs. Couldn't stand him. What did Zacchaeus tell Jesus he was going to do? Before that, give half of what? Half of all of his goods to the who? To the poor. And if he has defrauded anybody, 
he was going to pay it back what? Four times over. I sure wish Zacchaeus would have stole about $1,000 from me. (laughs) Now, how was Zacchaeus described in the very beginning of this story? Was he poor? He was rich. Was he, do you think he had any authority? He was called a chief tax collector. I don't think he was a grunt. So he's known to be a man, a rich man, known to be a short man, known to be somebody that's defrauding people. He's known to be wealthy and 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 traitor. The people can't stand him. Isn't that just like Jesus? To choose somebody like that to magnify his name. And what does Jesus say? After Zacchaeus says what he said to Jesus, what does Jesus say? Today what? Salvation has come to this house. Why? Because he is what? He is also a child of Abraham. And what does Jesus say next? The Son of Man came to seek and to save The lost. What's the significance of Son of Man? What does that mean? That's that's from the book of Daniel, right? Isn't that a Messianic prophecy? That Jesus, a title, sorry, Messianic title. Jesus loved to call Himself Son of Man. He's the Son of Man, but He's also who? The Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Now, In this story, when we say, what do we learn about God? We're also talking about Jesus, right? So what do we learn about God in this story? Sorry? He comes to us. He comes to us. Where do you see that? What verse would that be? All right. What else do you see? Hey, where do you see that? Mm-hmm. So let's say it in a different way in this passage. I know what you're saying, and I agree with you. He he receives anybody. Or he will receive. How would we put that? Um, he, w- he accepts. Amen. He accepts. Let's say that. What verse would that be? Okay. Let's just do it. Ten. Hey, you know what? I want to put that in a whole category of its own. He seeks and saves the lost. Man, aren't you glad about that? Verse 10. All right. 
You think him and Zacchaeus had ever met before? I don't think so. Calls him by name. Man, isn't that good? How about I just say knows our name? What verse was that? Man, verse five is loaded. What else? If, sorry? Trusting? How so? Okay. So he was how do we put how do we say that? He was opening himself up or being open. Um I feel I feel what you're saying. He's trusting. Um try to think of a good way to write that. Because here's the neat thing about Jesus is he he knew Zacchaeus. He was there for a purpose. He knew Zacchaeus' heart. Nobody else did. Who knows what Zacchaeus woke up thinking that day? Who knows what, what God was doing to stir his heart to get him ready to climb that tree or to hurry down? Um, man, let's say he receives us. Because he receives this. He, he asked Zacchaeus to be his guest, but he was basically inviting himself over. <laughs> And, and receiving Zacchaeus and letting, letting Zacchaeus. So in this culture, it would have been an incredible honor to be able to host somebody. When we lived overseas, it was, it, was too, it was hard for us to even imagine how much somebody was honored to have a guest in their home. All the time. Y'all like chai? Indian tea? It's tea, a lot of sugar, a little milk. It's really good cardamom and, and cloves and whatever kind of spices. I mean, it's pretty good. Some's better than others. I, all I had, if I want a chai, all I had to do is walk down the road. <laughs> and say, hey, brother, come here and have some chai. And I go to a shop to, to go look at, go shopping. Hey, come and have chai. They were so hospitable. They considered it an, an honor to be able to have a guest, a rare guest. I was considered a rare guest. Um, some places you don't get that treatment. But Zacchaeus was honored to be able to have Jesus as so it was he was receiving Jesus, but Jesus was also receiving him. Um, all right. Let's let's go to man, okay? What do we see about man? Mankind, man nature. What's that? Zacchaeus was curious. Let's write Zacchaeus was curious. I don't even know if I can spell Zacchaeus. <laughs> I got two C's because I misspelled it yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if I got the vowels in the right order. <laughs> All right. Uh, sinner. Somebody says sinner. We'll write that down. Um, how would you put, how would you write about the part about the people grumbling? You say fickle? I think, yeah, I think people can be fickle. Judgmental. Judgmental. Jealous. I think also, I think a lot of that was, was out of self-righteousness. You know what? I mean, 
Zacchaeus wasn't the only sinner in the crowd. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, if we're not careful, we, 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 we can act just like that ourselves. Can you believe that who was at church today? Can you believe what they were wearing? Can you believe the tattoos that they had? I don't think they're married. And on and on and on now. Am I saying that we should wink at sin? And No. But I'm trying to tell you one thing. You ain't no better than me and I ain't no better than you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So are you. And I want people to be here no matter how messy they are. If they aren't, man, this is the place they need to be. And they need to know how much God loves them and how much He will receive them and how much He will save them and how much He will change them. So I'm going to put self-righteous. Um, now, based on Jesus' statement, I'm going to say lost. I went to Mid-America Baptist Seminary, Theological Seminary. Dr. Gray Allison would say, they're lost. <laughs> he'd say, he'd go through the continents. They're lost. They're lost. They need the gospel. They need the gospel. Man is lost. Now, let's go with sin real quick. We've got to wrap it up. Sin. Any sin here? All right, so how about that judgmental? Um, our self-righteousness. Uh, what about stealing? Or extortion? I don't know. It's, uh, mm, they sure did, didn't they? They weren't just judging Zacchaeus. Now, surely we, don't, we wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't want God to fit in our box, would we? I'm telling you guys, one of my prayers often for myself and my children, my family, is that I'll see God like He really is. And that my children will see Him for who He really is. Man, they're judging Jesus. Watch out now. Alright, what about an example to follow? Or a command to obey. I see two, two main people that we want to follow their examples in this story. Who do you think they are? Jesus. Zacchaeus. Alright, what about Jesus' example? Receiving. Receiving sinners. Receiving. You know what? He didn't just receive them though, did He? He sought them out. <laughs> he, he, he received them, but He sought them. And we can't save them, but we can tell them about a Savior, right? Um, by name. Mm, by name. Man. Mm. Amen. Amen. I don't think I have time to preach my second sermon. I had a good passage for you tonight in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> I was at least going to try to give it as an illustration, but we're way out. We're going to run out of time. Uh, Y'all go read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's so good. Man, it is so good. Um, Nobody can boast in anybody but the Lord. Zacchaeus couldn't boast in himself. He didn't give all his money away because he was so good. He did it because Jesus changed his heart. Now, so what about... What about Zacchaeus' uh, example? 
Repenting, yeah. How do we see repentance in Zacchaeus' life? What is repentance? Repentance. It's a changed life, right? Like, repentance, is a simple way is U-turn, right? You're going one direction, and then whoop, you bust that U-turn and go the opposite direction. Zacchaeus, wealthy, I would say large and in charge, but he was small and in charge, but chief tax collector, known for defrauding people, and next thing you know, he's giving away half his money to the poor. He wasn't just taking, he was giving. And for somebody that he cheated, he was going to pay him back four times. Now, that is a changed life. That is an illustration of a changed life. Repentance. Let's just, just go ahead and say in faith. I love this. When Jesus told Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, it said he hurried down and he received him joyfully. And then the next thing you know, he's calling Jesus Lord. That's faith. That's surrender. Lord. All right? Now, I always looked at those specific examples that Zacchaeus gave as examples of that bigger picture of repentance and faith. But the last time we had a training, there was a lady in the group that said, Zacchaeus gave us a good example of giving to the poor. Something about our American heart might not even like that. He gave... To the poor. I think that's a good example. I think it shows the heart of God. It shows humility. And it shows generosity. In Acts chapter 2, it says that people were selling everything they had and bringing it to the apostles' feet for them to distribute it as anybody had need. <laughs> now look. One reason it flies in our face as Americans is because we're told you're supposed to work hard and provide for yourself, and you should. The Bible teaches that. But another reason, I think, is because we tend to struggle with materialism. Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> we like having nice stuff. We like to be comfortable. And you know, I got a new truck last week. It's a 2011, and I'm so proud of that truck. It's a pretty truck. Nice truck I ever had. Clean. It's only got 27,000 miles on it. I'm proud of it. Well, then I went and looked at Brother Frank's brand new truck, and I don't like my truck near as much as I used to. <laughs> we tend to struggle with materialism, don't we? Zacchaeus became generous when God changed his heart. He gave to the poor, and he made amends. Now, I don't even know how to spell that. What if... There's people that you have defrauded. And what if they're using you as an example of a no good, dirty Christian? And what if you just went back to them and said, you know what, I was wrong, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not like my Savior at all. I want to make amends. You think that might, could make a difference? Who knows? But I bet you everybody in that town that got paid back four times over knew that Jesus had saved Zacchaeus. We... Don't only repent one time. And we don't only have faith one time. The gospel is not just for lost people. It's for saved people. You and I need Jesus every second of every day. And we blow it quite often. And we need His forgiveness. And we need to repent quite often. When I first became a believer, 
I didn't understand conviction. I didn't know it was God's loving discipline. And I went out with some old buddies and I got pretty tore up. And I started feeling guilty about it. So I got that bottle, that bottle of Jim Beam and I wanted to drown that guilt and get rid of it. But it wouldn't go away. And I said, you know what? Forget this. I ain't even going to try to be a Christian anymore. It's for the birds. I'm done. Well, my good buddy that led me to the Lord drugged me back to church the next Wednesday. I didn't want to go. And when I was there, the Lord stirred in my heart and I thought I'd give it one more shot. And there was a man there named Danny Allen. He's the pastor at New Prospect now. He discipled he, him and Dusty. Those guys poured into me. And Danny told me that when you feel guilty like that, don't run from it. Run to it. That's because God loves you. And He's convicting you because He cares about you. And He's trying to teach you that that's not who you are anymore. And that's not going to satisfy you anymore. So when you feel convicted, don't run from it. Confess it. And turn back to God. And ask Him and trust Him to restore you. And He will. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's every day. Faith is not a one-time thing. It's every day. You and I do not get better if we don't ever make ourselves better. We need the gospel on the best second of our day, the best second of our life. It's all about Jesus. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's about what He has already done. So today, maybe you don't know Him. I invite you to believe in Him and turn to Him. Repent and believe. Maybe you know him. Maybe you're struggling with sin. I invite you to repent and believe. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and thinking, well, there's a bunch of sinners in here that need to hear that. I invite you to repent and believe because <laughs> you need Jesus and you need to realize you need him. We need Jesus. Now, if we were doing a connect group, we'd say, now, we got what we see about God, man, sin, examples to follow, commands to obey. And we say, what's the main point? I'm going to fast forward. I think the main point is Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And I think an action statement is to trust him and go tell other people about how good he is. Let him change you every day. Examine your heart for sin. And if you're convicted about any sin in your life, it could be your attitude, it could be your words, it could be idols in your life, it could be a number of things. If you're convicted, repent and believe. Jesus is able to restore you. Whether you're lost or whether you're saved, repent and believe. Trust the gospel. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live, and he died on the cross to pay the sin debt that we deserve to pay. Repent and believe. Worship him and make him known. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night, for the joy it is to gather in your name. Lord, for the fun it is to study your word. Thank you for my brothers and sisters and their help tonight. Thank you for, I hope, stirring in our hearts. I pray you'll continue to do so. Help us to hunger for you in a way that will not be satisfied by anything else and help us to represent you well. And when we blow it, Lord, teach us to turn to you and to trust you and to repent and believe. I pray it in Jesus' name.